on the podcast today, Brooklyn born, currently residing in Nashville, Tennessee, Gramps Morgan. Gramps, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on, man. I'm I'm excited to talk to you a little bit about, well, I mean, you've got such a vast history personally, professionally, uh, obviously your background with Morgan Heritage, two Grammy nominations. You've been solo as an artist since 2009, toured with John Legend. You've got a, uh, a collaboration with Shaggy on the latest record. Yes. You've done some pretty amazing stuff, man. How does it feel? Uh, just getting started. Just getting started. There's so much more I want to do in representing our music and, and love and just sunshine, just good energy. And I think by this collaborative effort um, in telling the story with this new album, Positive Vibration, where I'm telling the story of how country music is bigger than what country music believes it is. And it's, you know, you go to places in Africa and the Caribbean, in Europe, and people love country music. So this album, Positive Vibration, is just the beginning of that journey. So you've had success, obviously, with reggae. You've had success with uh, gospel. And now you're making this foray into country music. And you have a relationship with a very well-known Canadian country music star, Johnny Reed. Tell us a little bit about the uh, genesis of that relationship, how that all started. Well, we got to give COVID, I guess, the credit, you know, the coronavirus pandemic. Because uh, me going to a hockey game, um, with some friends and Johnny Reed end up was there and they said, you know, you guys got to meet him and you got to meet him and he's a reggae guy and he's a, he's a big Canadian reggae star, a big Canadian country star and does adult contemporary and has a studio and I was like, wow. And I said, let me and you step aside, man. And we started talking and he invited me over to his studio that he had just um, rebuilt from Randy Scruggs, uh, rest in peace, and the Scruggs family, a great country uh, family. And through Johnny, I was able to learn about the Scruggs family, Randy Scruggs. And I went by the studio and I was just fascinated. He told me about the, the microphones that, you know, people like Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson had sing. And I said, please just let me hold it. Let me hold it, you know? And me and him just kicked it off from the night before um, at the sporting event. And then the next day, and he started playing songs for me. And I was like, the first one he played for me, I said, hey, that's my song. And we both just started to laugh. And I said, wow, I can really hear your voice on that. And then it, the pandemic happened, everything shut down. And it was just like, all right. I told him that I wanted to become a better songwriter because I've done many things in music. But I always felt like I was cheating myself um, you know, I was a, I used to be a, a play American football, so I, I was like very athletic and very competitive and always wanted to become better. Right. And so Johnny Reed really did that for me, that put me on that path to say, OK, hey, let, let's work on your songwriting. And he that's what Johnny Reed does. He's a songwriter. Right. Even before an artist, that's how he got his chops in music. When you listen to the depths of Johnny Reed's story. And from that, we just kept on writing one song a day and then one song turned into another gym and then another song and the pandemic just kept going and then we did another song and, and it was just like one song a week, one song every two weeks and before you know it, we had 18 songs. 
18 songs and, and there's what 15 on this latest on the album yeah right mine. on on the latest album um interesting that you talk so thoroughly about songwriting because I, I really believe that that's why country music has such universal appeal as it tells stories right and it it translates the uh the chaos of emotional pain or love or you know, positive or negative emotions into something that's tangible for all of us to wrap our head and our heart around, right? Yeah. So is that really what spoke to you as you journeyed closer and closer to the format from, from where you were prior to the, that? Well, for, for many, many years, Jim, country music has always influenced reggae and likewise reggae influence in country. And reggae has influenced so many other genres. You talk to Sting from The Police that he ended up doing an album with Shaggy, right? Um, you talk to people like, um, no doubt, you, you, every artist in every genre is influenced by Jamaica and reggae music. Yes, and ska, reggae. You got it. So for me, growing up as a child on Sundays was a special day, Jim. When mom was making rice and peas and jerk chicken and oxtails and it was a Jamaican dinner, the, the soundtrack to cooking was country music, Jim. It was country music. It was Kenny Rogers. It was Charlie Pride. It was Dolly Parton. It was Randy Travis. And then she would mix in a little bit of Stevie Wonder, then a little bit of Toots and the Maytals. And then from a kid, when I started playing reggae and turned into a professional, it was always part of my DNA. Van Halen, um, Bon Jovi. You know, we grew up as a rock, rock reggae band. So all of these different pieces were components of the Gramps Morgan DNA. So after all this success and I end up moving to Nashville and I'm living here and I'm just loving it. And Garth Brooks is down the street. Luke Bryan is over here. And this guy and Chris Stapleton, I fall in love with his album. That's like my soundtrack when I drive. And I'm like, I got it. One day I'm going to work on it. Bringing the two sounds together because country music has influenced reggae in such a strong way, but it's never been done from one artist to do a full album to put it together in the way me and Johnny Reed have put it together because nobody heard it. But I've heard this from a child, and then Johnny Reed coming in my life and me coming into his life, it was just destiny to say, Okay, you two guys are going to make this happen. So the universe just brought it together and. When I started, I, I'll never forget when we were putting on some steel guitar in the studio and the guy was like, oh, steel guitar? And I said, trust me, it's going to work. Because I did it on my previous album on one song, which was called um, I Hear You Calling with me in Indiari. And I heard it and I was like, ooh, I said, that's going to be my next album with that sound. And it just, when you hear Woman Like You and you hear um, No Water in My Whiskey, it, it's like, oh my God. It's like, I've heard this before, but I haven't. Yeah, we were talking about that just before the podcast started, that A Woman Like You, which was a number one country hit for Johnny in 2009, I believe, up here in Canada. I always felt like that song wasn't something that could be covered, but you pulled off an amazing interpretation of it. And uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't say this to Johnny, but I might actually like your version better now. I, I won't tell him <laughs> that. But uh, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy how you were able to interpret a song that that is so indelible up here, but give it this, this new energy uh, yeah. with a different arrangement and instrumentation and your vocals on it. Um, in your estimation, Gramps, who was doing justice to the amalgamation of reggae and country prior to you sort of like 
um, uh, getting involved in that and forging out the format as best as you can. Who was doing the best job prior to you? There was no one. It's never been done. The closest I can say is probably Toots and the Maytals, where he had done an album recorded in Memphis, and it had the hints and the and the essence of that of that um, energy of blending too. And there was also a project that Big and Rich, uh, a big um, producer here in Nashville, Tennessee, linked up with a friend of mine named Christy Barber. And years prior to that album being released, I had the conversation of doing a reggae country album. She jumped me to the gun and she put out one, but it was a various... Um, album where you had like 10 different artists singing uh, um, covers of like Alabama and um, Kenny Rogers songs. They were remakes, but nothing has been done like this before. So this is the first, Jim, of reggae and country mixing. And you hear a little bit of Skyan there and a little bit of Mento. So I, I think it's a, um, a fusion and a tip to that, to country music. And it's been a sound that I've wanted to create for a very long time. Because I've, I've been burning to sing country music for years. I said, I want to do a full country album. And maybe you, you still will get that where it's just full country. But you'll always hear a hint of reggae because of my accent, you know? One of the uh, hot button issues in the country music format is the fact that it hasn't had a lot of diversity over the years. Yeah. And now that is starting to change. You're starting to see people like Jimmy Allen, Kane Brown, uh, Mickey Guyton rise up through the ranks and, and dominate yeah. within the format. Um, have you felt welcomed in the country music community? Um, absolutely. Well, some of my friends that are in country music, you know, you have Ray Lynn, um, which is a, she's a, cutie uh she's a friend of mine and she's here in nashville she's always at my house playing with my kids and now she's having a baby so um people like that luke bryant my son and his song play play uh, basketball together on the same basketball team so i'm always sitting next to luke bryant saying yeah go bj you know which is my son so we have the relationship but musically it hasn't happened yet it's more so the country musicians like uh there was a band there's a band called uh uh what they call um, they used to, um, Chris Stapleton used to be in that band. It's where, um, steel drivers, steel drivers, steel drivers. Um, and I've done some little stuff, a little bit of things with that. And, um, Vince Gill, you know, we've been like kind of dancing around each other and I'm hoping that it will happen because he's such a, one of my favorite singers in country music, but, this kind of project, Jim, it has never been done before. And country music and, you know, some of the country stations, um, video stations here in Nashville play my music. Uh, Jimmy Buffett's been very supportive. Um, Kenny Chesney, as, as his radio station on, on, on Sirius XM radio, they've been supporting and giving me a couple of spins. But it hasn't really been um, a thing where, if you notice, there's not a lot of country artists on the album at all, right? But the country musicians, the industry is very on there. And another country band called Little Big Town, you know, my one of my kids went to school with their kids. So we've been dancing around and, you know, but I believe eventually it's going to happen. And I think it's going to be, it's going to be great for country music. I think it's going to be great for um, reggae music and just the energy of, of being an example of unity because i think that's what the world needs at this time where we need to come together and we can realize that we have more in common than we think 
I'm so glad you said that. <clears throat> I think that um, I think there is a lot of unity, and I do believe that um, there is uh, a lot of people who are probably really curious in the country music industry of how to integrate a sound like you've created in a very proprietary manner and bring it into the format because the format is more welcoming to diversity, not only as it pertains to the the face and the superficialities, but musically it's more diverse than it's ever been, you know, and that's really exciting. We have these, these artists, uh, you know, like Cody Johnson, great independent success story, uh, Cody Jinks, um, you know, rock country artists like Corey Marks, and and still the pop country and you know there's definitely a lane there for reggae one guy who's who's been doing uh at least reggae somewhat influenced music or more like island influenced music for a long time is kenny chesney you saw the incorporation of steel drums on some of his hits back in the day and it's like nobody was doing that so i think the door is wide open for that now and it's an, an exciting time for you to come along uh i think it's i think it's the right time because just imagine Jim doing music all these years and now this album releases, right? Especially with what's going on in the world right now and a lot of tension and people are trying to survive and people need hope. People need us reassurance. And I do believe that it is, you know, just imagine a sporting event without music. Imagine the church without music. Imagine a political event without music. So I do believe that we as artists have a responsibility to society to help them move along, to encourage them, to uplift them. So, you know, when this album came about, we, you know, me and Johnny just saw it as a ray of sunshine to really say, hey, man, it's going to be all right. Just, just hang on. We're going to get through this. And most of all, most important, let's get through this together. Well, Johnny realized very early, in it, and I used to, full disclosure, I used to work with Johnny, was his agent at one point up here in Canada. What? And, um, yeah, I did. I worked with him from about 2004 to about 2012. Wow. And, uh, yeah, we're still friends. You know, we, we don't do business together as much anymore, but we're still yeah. buddies. He's just a great guy. But one of the things that Johnny captured early, and I feel like you're on the same wavelength, is that for many people, music is their drug of choice. Yes. And, and music is where they turn when they need to shift their countenance, when they need to change their state, yes. when they need to either embrace heartache or bring sunshine back to their soul. And as soon as I listen to your record, I got it. I'm like, this, that is what Gramps seems to stand for. Yes, sir. You got it, Jim. That that's amazing. Wow, you, you hit me in the chest there, because and it, it it it's it shows that you are you know kindred spirit like Johnny Reed because to listen to the not everyone will listen to the album and get that right away, and what I'm trying to convey to to the massive that listen to music, but it's to to be their soundtrack, Jim. You know, to, to, to be that thing where you can just push in and had a hard day of work and you got an hour drive and it's probably going to be traffic and you got this album in the, in the CD player on your iPad, you're just going to say, hey, push play, positive vibration. I got an hour drive. I'll be fine. And that's what I want my music to be. And music is a great unifier. You know, that's that's the other thing that I think we forget is, you know, when you attend a, a live show and and you watch people moving in sync with the beat and 
reciting the lyrics of their favorite song. They're not looking at each other going, I wonder if that guy's a Republican. I wonder if he's a Democrat. <laughs> you know, like, like politics almost needs to, by virtue of its business model, keep us divided. Yes. But music and art, art really in general, is the great unifier. It's the thing that dissolves uh, borders and differences and allows us to just enjoy something together. And yes. and it's it's why I think and I'm interested to get your perspective on this. It's why I think sometimes we have to be very aware of the messaging we have in music and, and decide when we want to integrate political philosophies in it or just, just let people enjoy themselves, right? Because some people are listening to music to get a break from politics. And, you know, I'm not saying that there aren't great examples of art upholding social justice initiatives that need to be perpetuated. But sometimes it's got to just be about the light. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree with you. And I matured into that, you know, and meeting Johnny at this time in my life just made that more concrete, you know, because, it, you know, like you said, some people sometimes want to experience escapism right they just want to escape they want to listen to music and escape they want to go to the movie theater and escape so the arts are very important in that sense where people should just want when they listen to it just take me to that place where i'm gonna take you you not necessarily have to fly air canada next week but come fly air gramps and i'll take you to positive vibration so let me bring the islands to you so that's what i wanted to create like this sense of escapism and comfort and love and light yeah, well, you've done a great job at conveying that, and um, Thank you, it's, Jim. Uh, it's it's pretty amazing. Let's talk a little bit about your personal life. You grew up in an un unusually large family. Yes. I read on Wikipedia, which I didn't do all my research on Wikipedia, but it, it <laughs> sometimes can be somewhat reliable, that yeah. you had, is it 29 siblings? 29 siblings, oh, yes. That is wild. So, so. Wild. <laughs> all biological or all biological. foster kids? Same father, one father, different several mothers. I think it's six mothers between all the, all the children. And one mother had 15. So she's special. <laughs> so I, I, we, we grew up, Jim, where it was just a, a, a talent show every day. You know, I had a brother that danced exactly like Michael Jackson. I, I mean, one day when people see these those home videos, when we had the, the camcorder, I don't know if you remember those days. Of course. We, we still have those tapes, man, when you push that tape in the side there. And, and we're trying to convert some of those things to kind of let people see the richness of our family, a, of a man that came to the United States with $100 in his pocket to make life. And I always tell my dad that you're the great immigrant stories and, and that people need to hear the story where immigrants can keep hope. And that's what makes North America so great is it, it's the people. Because sometimes, you know, um, institutions and all those other things can let you down. But the people that have built the, 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 this country, they come from overseas. And that's what makes North America great, that you can come yes. from anywhere in the world and find a job and take care of your family. So uh, I, I'm not an Amer North America basher because I've seen what it has done for my dad and, and, and gave me a life, right? Because my dad came from um, Jamaica where there was a lack of opportunity and, and it was rough. And he came to this country and made something out of nothing. And here's Gramps Magan. <laughs> and 
it's it's the pursuit of happiness combined with the liberty and freedom to pursue a passion and something that fills your soul that I think makes the Western world so so appealing for so many immigrants and 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 I, I worry sometimes as we work towards um, I don't worry about a quality of opportunity. Anybody with any sense is down for a quality of opportunity. But yes. when we start gunning for a quality of outcome and we start tearing down uh, meritocracies and institutions that have worked, a lot of times what ends up happening, and I'm not saying that people who are who are calling for these things aren't well-intentioned. I think they are. But we actually ruin the very thing that makes us great. You know, like a lot of immigrants come to North America, Canada, the United States, because they just want to take care of their family, pursue their passion and, and drive their efforts towards a dream. Yes. And we have to be careful that we don't give that up in the name of something that we think is virtuous. Yes. Yes. Brilliantly yeah. said. <laughs> yeah. Brilliantly said. <laughs> well, thank you. And you have you have eleven children yourself. So do you have uh, talent shows going on in your household today? Not yet. Of your kid? Yeah, Not of yet. And, and, and my my tribe has increased a little more since I gets that number was on Wikipedia. But, but <laughs> right. we, we what we love to do as a family is we love to barbecue, right? We, I, you know, I bring the jerk chicken. I have my own jerk sauce, and you know. Um, I have my own uh, cannabis company, which is more CBD that was created for my son. So I stay busy. Um, that, that's another story for another time. But, you know, that's what we love to do is, is cook together in the kitchen. And we go to the movies and my there's I don't know if they have it in Canada, but there's this, there are a couple companies that where you, you can go and just jump up and down and do on these swings. My kids love that place. So they all have memberships to the, to, to the jump these jump places um i think actually, they have trampolines and yeah, obstacles yeah. and yeah yeah uh, yeah sort of like a ninja warrior training that's camp. correct yeah that's correct. totally so that, that's one of our biggest things and I, it's great exercise for me because i can't you know run like i used to but I'm, I'm i'm still pretty strong but it gives me great cardio and exercise is one of the biggest things for 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 my family you know my wife is also canadian she's um from regina saskatchewan love it so, yeah, so Dr. Annabelle um, is her name, and uh, she's she's just amazing, man. So sports, me being an ex football player, and her basketball, and our kids, you know, genetics are, are real. So sports is a big thing for us. We're always out, outside. And I know you grew up in a musical family, and you mentioned obviously that you played football, and you mentioned that earlier in the conversation. I'm sure that your competitive spirit has served you well in music. Oh, it's probably God. been a big benefit to you to come from to come from a background where you need to be working hard. You need to uh, deploy tactics and strategies that aim you towards success and goal yeah. achievement. All of those things. It's why I wish that more people who were in the music business actually started out in athletics because they would know, like to some degree, there's no excuses. You just got to do the hard work, right? Yeah. So yeah. for you. How has it been an advantage and a benefit to you to come from where you came from and end up where you are? Uh, it, it, it's humbling, Jim. It's humbling. And I, as you said that, you know, I really think I need to advocate some more for parents to put their 
children into athletics because it has really built me. I got to send a special shout out to my Irish football coach, Coach Dan McLaughlin. You know, he said to me, hey, Gramps, you know, you can, you can, well, at that, that time he called me Roy. That's my real name. And he said, you can sing forever. This time I had a couple scholarships on the table for major colleges in the United States. And uh, it was either going to Jamaica and that summer I went to Jamaica, I got a record deal to MCA records. And it was, my father said, you know, what do you want to do? You want to be a football player? Or you want to do music. And I was like, music, of course. But I became very good at football and I was wrestling and I, I did every sport. I, I even tried to go out for the hockey team. I, I played baseball. The guys laughed at me because I came on the field in a trench coat and they called me Inspector Gadget. They was, they was teasing me. But I believe what you said is so powerful more than what you even believe because I've seen, you know, we understand what it is to be first place. Yeah, number one. And kids today, you know, they're, they're losing that in a sense, you know, more so it's, he's like, oh, he's teasing me, he's bothering me, or I didn't win. And you, you back when we were growing up, you didn't get a trophy for fourth place, <laughs> you know, you had no and participation trophies yeah. encourage this idea of entitlement that just right. for showing up, you should get something. Oh, and, Jim. And it's it's not the way the world works. No, you're making them soft and you're going to make it hard on them and make them believe that they have a sense of entitlement because an acknowledgement trophy? No, you have to work for it. That's how I grew up. So athletics was a big part of me when I knew what it was like to lose. You have to know what it is like to lose to appreciate winning. And sports did that for me. I, I remember playing football and being in the pen and it was me and another guy and the strongest guy that, that rolled, rolled over the other guy was the winner. And this was my teammate. But we had to develop that sense of toughness from that point in order to beat any other team. And I think athletics, I think we're on to something here, Jim, because it, it's really a lot of kids today, you know, they're, they're getting soft, so to speak, you know. They don't have that mental toughness because parents nowadays, they get a little baby and it's like they, they're so thankful for the baby, number one. And then they baby them to the point where when they get to the real world, they're just very not, you know, very sheltered, so to speak, we'll call it, you know. But I know what being um, um, in athletics did for me. I remember climbing the rope and you have to climb all the way to the top. I remember climbing all the way to the top of the rope in the gymnasium and it would be like, wait a minute, we got to go all the way to the top. And some kids didn't make it. And there were some kids that made it all the way until that is now used in the military till this day. So mental toughness is very key. And athletics was a big part of my mental toughness. It's so important in the, uh, in the arts. It's funny. I was having this conversation with an artist over the weekend. We had a live show in Ontario and um, I, I referenced the story of the first uh, bare knuckle heavyweight champion of the world, uh, John L. Sullivan, yes. who uh, who won that title by uh, in the late 1800s by fighting a guy by the name of Jake Kilrain. And they fought, I believe it was on um, July the 8th. It was hot. And they fought somewhere in the South, Georgia or Louisiana. Wow. And, and that fight went on for 76 rounds in the midday heat. Whoa. And finally, John L. Sullivan was, you know, his hand was raised as the victor. 
He beat Jake Kilrain because Kilrain just couldn't come out for another round. He felt like he was going to die. And and I use that example for an artist who who feels like they've they've worked so hard and they have, but they're not quite breaking through yet. Yes. And I said, you know, you have to have the attitude of a John L. Sullivan, which is whatever it takes. You can't yes. come back in between every round to your corner and go, mm-hmm. I hit him so hard. Why am I not winning? You know, yeah. I'm, I'm everything I did in training. I'm, it's like, <laughs> it doesn't matter, man. It doesn't yeah. matter. You got to go out and do whatever it takes. That's yeah. all that matters. That's and, and I think, I think sports more than anything else gives us that self-awareness and that opportunity to really dial in and, and you mentioned something that I really liked, humility, you yes. know, that, hey, I've trained really hard, but I mm-hmm. didn't get first place. So obviously I didn't train hard enough, you know, That's correct. and That's you learn correct. that from sports. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's, it's very important today. And I, I, like I said, I think we're on to something here. We need to push this, this agenda um, and make parents because a lot of these new parents, they don't understand the old school. You know, I'm from the hard knocks, you know. I'm a Rocky fan. You know what I mean? I grew yes. up on Rocky. Every Rocky, like when, you know, Rocky was punching the meat and went up against Apollo Creed and then he went up against Mr. T and then he went up against the Russian. And then it's like, those are what, those are the movies I grew up on, you know, understanding, you know, what it's like to 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 to, to get off your, your, your knees and stand up for yourself and fight back and overcome. These are the things that make you win in life and make you make us become great parents at the same time. Well, the Rocky saga is an archetype, right? It's this idea that that sometimes an underdog gets selected by the universe. And it's up to that underdog to decide whether they're going to rise to the occasion or whether they're going to embrace their born to lose uh, self-identity, you know, version of themselves that they've allowed themselves to not fulfill their full potential. And in Rocky, you know, obviously Rocky won. He doesn't, he doesn't win. Spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen it. He doesn't <laughs> win the fight, but he gives Apollo Creed such a great fight that yeah. it demands a rematch and he redeems his name. He redeems himself. And yes. he finally feels like a man for the first time in his life. Right. And it's like that, idea those lessons are just just something they're so applicable to the arts the only thing i would say that that deviates from sports as it pertains to arts is sports it's objective music is somewhat subjective right and that's where it gets difficult because sometimes you have an artist who's performed for their friends and their family and they've been told that they're better than keith urban better than luke bryan better than taylor swift and it's like but they're not, but they start to believe it on some level. Right. And then they get hurt when they get in the real world because they realize that they've just been set up for failure rather than having a parent who could constructively criticize them and go, Hey, I want to encourage you to keep this up, but you're a long way from being a star. And here are the three things you need to work on. You know? Yes. Yes. Jim, man, I can't wait to meet you, man. I, I feel like, um just all already i really can't wait to meet you because already i feel the kindred spirit you know and like-minded uh men we 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 have to gather it's it's, it's the way it was back in the days where two kings from two different you know kingdoms would come together and, and 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 do great things and that's that's how i really feel talking to you because you you've uh reinstilled 
my beliefs and my strength. You know, you don't know what you're doing for me just telling me these things. So thank you in advance. And, and I can't wait to meet you in person, man. Give you a big hug. Um, God bless you, man. We will do that for sure. Back to the music quickly, though. What are you working yes. on next? I know you've mentioned you're working on this reggae country fusion, but but a little more specifically, how far are you along on that project? How many songs do you have written? When do you see it possibly being released? Yes. Well, the, the next project that we want to do, um, not no big plans, but me and Johnny just keep writing because I believe that me and him have formed... Uh, there's chemistry there. You know, it's like when Michael Jackson and Quincy Jones made yes. some records together that you don't find that very often. And I do know that the universe has brought me and Johnny Reed together that um, I, I know as far as music, you know, we may not, you know, can barbecue every, every weekend together, but I know that we have a, a duty to serve society with making some great songs to bring some light into people's lives. I'm looking forward to put out a Christmas album. You know, I think that would be great to kind of bring some joy to people in the season of, of giving um, and celebrating Christ. I do also believe um, that, you know, me and Johnny, we have this thing where we just say, hey, keep it simple, man. He, you know, he, you know Johnny's from Scotland. He goes, mate, it's called the keep it simple, mate, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, so that's our thing where we just we just let the universe guide us because like this album it wasn't planned, you know, Jimmy. It was like we just two guys just wanted to bring some some fun and, and sun into the, into people's lives, man. Well, that's brilliant. When do you think you'll be back touring again? How's it looking on the live end down there for you? Well, we they're they're opening up. There's a lot of big festivals that that are that have been happening here in the U.S. Um, um, but they're taking their time, and I can feel like they're, they're thinking of pulling back a little bit. Um, but I have a few shows that are that some people are calling me and want to hear a woman like you live, reggae style. So I'm excited about that. Um, I have a show coming up in Africa in October where they, they fell in love with um, um, a woman like you and um, some of the songs from the album and they're like, whoa, we need to hear you, you perform these songs live. So I'm excited. But one of, that's one of the other things a lot of people don't realize how big country music is in Africa. I know for a fact that they have like cowboy shows in Nairobi, Kenya, where people come and they make these stacks of hay and sit down and the DJ plays country music. And some of the local artists sing country covers. So it, it, the country music don't realize how big it is. And that's one of my missions to let people know how big country music is outside of North America. Yeah, Don Williams, before he passed away, played a, a 60,000 person stadium show in Pretoria, South Africa. Oh, my and, God. And wow. Don was a star in North America, no doubt about it. But in Canada, he played theaters. In the United States, he played mostly theaters and a few arenas, but over there he played stadiums. So oh you're right. God. I mean, we have no idea what an untapped market Africa yeah. could potentially be. I know I was looking at the uh, the, the Spotify um, uh, uh, analytics for Brett Kissel, who's an artist that I work with up here in Canada, okay. and the number 10 market worldwide for him was Nigeria. I was like, Whoa. Nigeria? <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm like, people are listening to Brett Kissel in Nigeria, like top oh 10 God. markets on the planet. Now, yes. to be fair, those smaller markets are fractions of what Canada, the United States, Australia, and the UK are. But still, to see Nigeria in there yeah. really got me to thinking about that Don Williams story and what you just brought up. It's like, yeah. man, 
there might be more potential over there for this format than we even understand at this point, because these stories, these archetypes, these emotional translations, they resonate with everybody, no matter how much melanin isn't or isn't in your skin. That's correct. You got it. (laughs) You got it. We've all experienced heartbreak, right? We've all experienced loss. We've all experienced joy. Oh yeah. And, and that's why country music is so universal and why I'm so excited to speak to you and what you have to offer the format in terms of where it's going to go. Yes, man. Well, well, like you say, the the, the great storytellings and the the advice that mama and papa gave you and then heartbreak and love and recovering and overcoming, all those messages are in in country music, on reggae music. So I I think it's going to be an explosion. I really do, Jim. Um, once the people like you get the word out and people give me the chance and opportunity to sing for the masses, I'm, I'm going to do my job as best as I can. But you really touched on something there where people, all we all experience that same thing. And I, I just remember listening to The Gambler when Kenny Rogers came to Jamaica and and he was singing the gambler which was huge and he said you got to know and and far away no and the run you should and he realized that the crowd was singing he said wait a minute wait a minute here and he said how do you guys know my songs and people failed to realize that when shortwave radio in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, when Jamaica and the Caribbean didn't have many radio stations, we depended on shortwave radio coming from Texas and New Orleans and Florida and the Carolinas. That shortwave radio shoots longer than FM frequency. People don't realize that. And they used to have those shortwave radios you should put by your ear. And that's where people used to consume their music before Spotify, before Pandora and Apple and and, rate and FM frequency. So we grew up on country music. This is what I'm trying to tell this story. But it seems like it's a story that hasn't been told. And hence, when Kenny Roger comes to Jamaica and performs on this festival, he is shocked out of his mind because he's like, how in the world is this song so known to you people, right? And he, he throws up his hand and says, my God. And the people, the crowd said it was about 40,000 people in the stadium. And he said, and the audience said, we love you, Kenny. And he was just taken back till he had, had to end up doing it at another show in Kingston. Was uh, was it just Kenny Rogers, or was there a bit of a package? It was a festival. It was Kenny Ro- Kenny okay. Rogers, the headliner. Of course, right. uh, there's a huge festival in Jamaica. It's a jazz festival, and they always bring the top acts. Like we brought Celine Dion to Jamaica, and she was shocked. You know, she had a, a residency in um, Las Vegas, Vegas, and they flew mm-hmm. her on a private jet straight in, flew in that morning, and flew back out that night just to do that show in Montego Bay that night. And she, I mean, when I tell you pandemonium, I mean, police car, it was like, it was like the president of the United States was in the island. It was that kind of pandemonium. Air Supply that came to, I don't know if you remember the band Air Supply. They come to Jamaica. They come to Jamaica all the time. And that show was so huge in Jamaica that they end up doing several other islands in the Caribbean because the, 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 the palette of, Caribbean people, when it comes to music, it is huge. Like Andrea Bocelli could come to Jamaica and do a show, 
right? <laughs> and he wouldn't even realize. Like people know my music in Jamaica, the same way you're talking about um, your artists that, that that has music being played in Nigeria. So the, the consumers for music is wide, and we can never limit the music. I think it's we as programmers and and artists ourselves. We put ourselves in the box. In corporate music business, we we create these box and lanes and. Why Why do that? Let the music be what it's supposed to be. Couldn't agree more. Thank God for the iPod generation. In some yes. ways, that really helped dissolve the borders between formats because, yeah. you know, tune into one of your buddies' playlists and you'd hear George Strait, ACDC, uh, yeah. you know, maybe maybe a couple of reggae songs, like whatever they had on there to, to match the mood that they wanted to be in was yes. programmed and you know, radio in the industry still has this very uh, antiquated uh, perspective on yes. the industry, and they feel like things need to be labeled and classified for people to enjoy them. But, but what the iPod proved is that's not true at all. Yes, absolutely. It it really broke down the, those those lines of of music and genres. People want to love music and enjoy because one day you may, you know. If I go to bed with my wife and celebrating my anniversary, I'm not going to listen to a certain kind of music, right? I'm going to want something smooth and, you know, and then if I'm having a barbecue and having fun with kids by the pool, I, there's a certain kind of music I'm wanting to play. So music has moods and energy. So I think we as, as an industry, we need to dissolve those lines and let music do what it's supposed to do. Gramps, I can't think of a better way to wrap up this podcast than what you just said. <laughs> thank you, thank so, you much, Jim. so much for doing this man thanks for sharing your heart and your soul and yes. your aspirations for this format and uh, you. you're on when i'm in nashville next you and i are gonna get together maybe for one of those barbecues or let me take yes. you for dinner somewhere absolutely me and my wife would love to have you jim <laughs> awesome well I, look right. for, I just gave myself an invitation by the way for everybody out there listening yes. that's how you do it <laughs> But yes, man. <laughs> thank you again for taking the thank time. Thank you, friend. Jim. Much love and respect. Okay. God bless. Take care. Right. Bye bye. <laughs>